Hello. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm very well. How, how's your day? Oh, Today is one of those. We had to get a uh, we had to get a special fist sized rock uh, for my son to take to class today. A fist sized fist sized rock. What what kind of class is that, Dan? It's a regular school. It's his last week of school. Oh, and I, I don't see. I don't know what that was for, uh, or why we needed that. But uh, it added an extra. You know how my routine is in the yeah zero time rigid, zero time tolerance rigid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh, so you found out about it uh, on the day today, this morning, mm-hmm. or last you know last night it was mentioned, and then and that you know a little thing like that can throw your whole <laughs> your whole day off. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's true. Yeah, um, I bet it's a culling. I bet. Uh, yeah. I, mm-hmm. Well, no, no. I mean, obviously, they they probably don't tell you to the last minute because they don't want to let the parents have time to contact their attorney. Uh, right. It's probably a calling. There's probably going to be a rock fight. Everybody gets everybody gets one rock, and they get to pick one kid they want to take out. Right. It is the last week of school, after all. So and it's like playing it's like playing diplomacy with rocks. Like yes. you go and you you cut deals, you know, and say I'm going after Ankara. Yeah, and and, and you know, and uh, and then you throw a rock at a kid. Yep. Schools have changed a lot, Dan. Yeah, there's a different kind of code of ethics now. Hmm. I think we're trying to instill different things today. <laughs> yeah. Neighborhood stick fights. I told you this morning. Um, we're uh we're in camp mode now. Oh right. School ended last week for us, so camp. And uh, so far, the first camp of the summer has been after one day appears to have been disastrous. You mentioned something. What? It doesn't sound good. It's the kind of camp I'd never heard of. My my daughter was not happy to learn existed. It's called track camp. This is something camp. where you you do you run track the whole day. You know, I did not fully think this through, um, but you know, I think about like what I really, really, really didn't like at any point during school was having to exert myself, especially having to run. Do you remember? Did you, did you have to do the fifteen minute walk run? Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do remember that. I never liked that. And then there was always this threat at the end of the year. Oh, you know what? Well, we walk. We will have to walk a mile. You know, you're going to have to run the mile or whatever. And that used to terrify me because a mile sounded really far. And they're always lording the president over us. The president, the presidential <laughs> fitness plan. I'd like to see the president do some pull-ups. I'd like to see Ronald Reagan do some, do some chin-ups. Oh, God. So, see him follow his own program. So, as I mentioned, my daughter is now limping. Mm. So like, I, like, a, like a sprain? Mm, I think it's just, it's, it's exertion. Like, like why do we send her to a place where she has to run all day? That's a terrible idea. That's brutal. I mean, I'd rather have her, have her go to rock camp. Fist-sized rock camp. <laughs> Fist-sized rock camp. Mm-hmm. Does, uh, so this is, this is something where they're out there, they're running. Does she ever fall? Does she still fall and skin a knee, or is she out of that? Mm, no, she falls. Yeah. She falls. She, she, uh, she's, she's pretty good about it. She doesn't fall too much, and when she does, she bounces back better than she used to. But she, she's, she's scooting at like an eighth-grade level, so she's, she's very daring. Like a she dog does, with a tapeworm, or...? A mm-hmm. different kind of scooting. Oh, you mean you mean the trots? Right. Well, you know how the dog will slide its back two legs while pulling with the front? Yeah, surfing. Surf- mm-hmm. Scooting. Is what scooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to wear a helmet. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a legal requirement, but it's a, it's a best practice if you're going to scoot. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> we should probably move on. Uh, how's it going? Good morning? Yeah, it's been... Huge, it, huge morning? Yeah. God, it was, so, it was so weird last week. It was so, I was so 
even though like I had overcome the fever after the first day, like the rest of the week, I don't, I, it's like a blur. The only show I did was our show last week. That was it. What? That's weird. I was sick. And I was, yeah, it was yeah. weird. I was out of it. I was just, it was like, uh, I was, I was just, it was weird. Like I lost all productivity. I couldn't do I barely do any shows. Mm. Mm. Well, it's a good one though. It was a good one. Yeah. I, I mentioned we got a lot of good uh, feedback and questions. We don't have to get to that right away. Um, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. Uh, and good luck. Good luck with the rock. I want to hear how that turned out. Yeah. I hope you survived the calling. <laughs> It's like Lord of the Flies. Are Last you week not of school. <laughs> Just whatever, whatever you wanted to do all year, do it. Just uh-huh. do it. No, no teachers, no parents. Oh, it's like that movie where you get the you get the one day to kill poor people. Oh, right? uh, the Purge, World War Z, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Is that the one with the zombies where you ages backwards? Uh, what am I thinking of? <laughs> There's a lot of uh, river runs ben- Benjamin, through it. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Is that his name? Yes, he's the guy who invented the light bulb, <laughs> the Wankel engine. The <laughs> the difference, Wankel. Yeah. <clears throat> Turing. All <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> right. Chris, I had, Mac- Christopher. I had one macadamia nut. Chris, Christopher, Chris, Christopher, Christopher Bletchley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking up, except for the position at Bletchley. <laughs> so how's everything up there? I'm my bicycle. <laughs> You're gearing, gearing up for the big week uh, next week. I'm my bicycle to Bletchley. <laughs> it has a basket. Oh. I have a basket on my Bletchley bike. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened to the show? Bees, bees are funny. Bees. Um, uh, yeah, big week. Uh, next week's uh, the big, the big uh, show. Everybody, uh, everybody comes to town. Um, did you ever find a uh, an accommodation that you could live with? Uh not yet. I'm still still oh trying my God, to really? figure it out, yeah. <gasps> I'm trying to figure uh, out if I can even go or not. I still haven't got flights, nothing. You should do that. You can do that on the internet or with a phone. I, I know. You could go to the airport in person. I bet you could buy it, but you could go right to the airport and buy buy, buy a plane the, ticket. The eldest, I'd I'd like to go to uh to Chicago, please. And then all right, <laughs> when would you like to go? I'd like to go today. All right, we can do that. <laughs> That's that? how you get Any, a flight. Andy Griffith goes to the airport. Yeah, that's <laughs> get you set up. That's smoking how it used to be. I'm smoking. That's exactly how it used to be. You you go to you go you talk to talk to a lady in a hat, mm-hmm. and you pay her with with a uh, with a check, and you smoke the whole time. <laughs> that's right. Of course, I want smoking. I'm not an animal. There is one. Uh, there is one. Was it? I'm trying to remember which one it was. I feel I want to say it's the Twilight Zone with Shatner and the um, something on the wing. Mm-hmm. And I think like he wants to smoke. They're like you can't smoke during takeoff and landing. Like only then while you're in the air. But people used to smoke a lot on planes. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the outrage that would happen if a single solitary person smoked a cigarette oh, on an airplane? I can peg it. In Florida, anyway, I feel like I can peg it back to 1985, I think was the year that a lot of stuff changed. It wasn't much more than a year before that where my mom had had her first experience where someone walked up to her in a restaurant and said, would you mind not smoking, please? And she, she went, she went, she hulked out. She completely freaked. I mean, she might as well, they might as well, might as well have come up and told her to get a different haircut. Like it was, she was so outraged that anybody would have the temerity to come up to her at breakfast and tell her to stop smoking in a restaurant. She was mad about it for like two years. And then I think I told you this anecdote, but when I was a busboy, it was like, yeah, you know, whenever, whenever this law went into effect, it said, your restaurant has to provide a non-smoking section. 
And my boss, you know, who was basically a coked up mobster, was like, uh, hey, kid, uh, go over to the uh, hardware store and you can get a no smoking sign. <laughs> and so we bought, we bought one of those, like a Ferenc sign, one of those like red and black signs, and put it over the worst table in the place. And that was our non-smoking sign. Oh, section. my God. That's terrible. Boom. <laughs> I'm observing the law. It's, I just remember, like, I vividly remember non-smoking sections in restaurants. I vividly remember that. And, uh, and, and like you would go and you'd go to the restaurant and they'd say smoking or non-smoking. Well, first Mm -hmm. available. That's fine. First available. Yes. First available. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'm not saying this is good, bad, or indifferent, but you know, I'll, I'll be a little bit uh, Malcolm Gladwell for a minute. Turns out, uh, you think about who, who are the folks who are smoking. Well, the folks who are smoking are probably also the folks who are drinking. Uh-huh. I think the high rollers were more often than not smoking. Maybe, maybe they brought a dame, you know, <laughs> right? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I mean, I think you know the uh, there was an inc- disinclination. Also, you know, independent business owners don't like being told what to do. As you know. Yeah. I'm trying like to that. remember when they started doing it in bars as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I remember that. Mm. I had been, you know, going to this one bar in Tallahassee where, which was, you know, there were like two bars that I went to a lot in Tallahassee. One I went to was more like a, you know, a fa- not fancy, but like a space age bachelor pad. Uh, fun place my friend Don ran called Waterworks and that's where I would dress up as a, a gorilla and call bingo numbers on Sunday nights it was a pretty classy joint but uh, the other place the rock and roll club was cow house and man everybody was smoking and you know we're up there and we're singing and we're we're, we're smoking and, and drinking beers and whatnot I, that, that was my life for you know what t- 10 years yeah I moved to California where nobody smokes in a right, bar right I went back to Tallahassee, like, I want to say three to six months later, and I felt like I was going to pass out. It's so weird. I'd been in, I mean, you know, both my parents smoked, everybody smoked, which yeah. is what you did. Yeah. And it was just, you know, any, any, any minute that, that, that you weren't doing something else, you were smoking. And maybe while you were doing something else, you were smoking. You smoke in bed, right? You just smoke. You smoke all the time. And going back in that environment, I, th- I, 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 I felt like I was gasping for air at like 930. That's weird. And, oh. I, and I, I don't care for it. I remember visiting my dad's office. When uh when up up at Temple University, and uh, and going in there, and you know everybody had an ashtray on their desk. <laughs> everybody had you know like it, it, you just in the waiting room they would have the little uh you know the little pedestal ashtray st- stand up little yeah, stand up ashtray yeah mm-hmm. yeah and like they had this was just normal and I you know and my dad smoked three packs of Marlboro Reds a day at his. It is heyday and eventually quit. Thank God. But, uh, I mean, this was like, you have, imagine trying to smoke three packs a day without being able to smoke at your desk. If you have an office job, like you wouldn't be at your desk ever. You know, you had, that was, that was borderline chain smoking. And it was that the whole culture around all of this that, that created it. And I remember, uh, the, the non-smoking sections and I forget where it was, but I think that I moved, from Florida to North Carolina and then back to Florida. And it was similar to like what you were talking about, wherein it, it, they, it was just this shock of like, Oh, right. People smoke here and the laws were different in the other, in the other city. And it was just so strange to come back to it and be like, Oh, right. Like the person in the table next to me is smoking a cigarette. And it never bothered me that much because like you, I grew up in a family of everyone was just smoking all the time. Like it wasn't like, you know, you'd be driving in the car and the windows would be up and your parents would be in there smoking. 
and like <laughs> hotboxing. Yeah, hotboxing is that the term? Mm-hmm. But it's just crazy, like that. That was just a normal everyday, you know. Well, it's you know that's what normal is. Nor- normal is whatever is there, not what you think should be there. And you know, and you're making me remi- remember something. Um, think about when you go to the office, and there's all those people smoking at their desk, and they've got the ashtrays. <laughs> If memory serves, a lot of those ashtrays were made by children as Father's Day presents. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. I'm just—I don't know how I blocked that up. Oh now I'm my gosh! How many th- how many ashtrays I made for my what? And for for those for those who are listening now, who I guess the last kids to really do that were probably maybe 80s, but I'm thinking 70s. We would by the take, late 80s. It was. It, I mean, it was, within the period of like five to ten years, it, there was a drastic drop. Yeah. I mean, I, until the really, it wasn't until like the early to mid 90s, and still in some places. Like I say, you go some places, you know, uh, and there's still. I think a lot of the kids have started smoking again. Yes. Um, I know in our neighborhood, a lot of the Chinese kids smoke. Like it's that's a it's a big cultural thing. And but no, but you're you're right. I mean, there were these two. It felt like there were these two big drops in the eighties and in the nineties. But yeah, it was, it was everywhere. Well, the, the way that you would make these kits at home is mm-hmm. you would take a ball and then you would, you make a what pretty big ball of clay and mm-hmm. then you would flatten that out. So it would be a circle and you kind of roll it out. And then you would take, you'd make a few long snakes and the snakes would go around the edge of the flat time is a flat circle circle. Mm-hmm. And you would stack it up maybe two or three snakes high. So they're circling and circling Ouroboros and then you would take your finger mm. and press down for the little place for the cigarettes to sit. You're going to make a cigarette rest on the snake. Yeah, on the snake. Yeah. And then uh, and then they would put, you would, they, I don't know if they, do you paint it and then kiln it? Do you kiln it and then, I don't know. And if Plus, it didn't you know, break. Sil- silicosis, silicosis is a concern. If it didn't break in the kiln, Mm-mm. then uh, then your dad would have an ashtray for his desk. Akuna Matata. Yeah. You could make him a shot glass, a uh, hypodermic needle, <laughs> make him a clean needle. Yeah. Make make that a, a little, little beer holder for the car, maybe. What I love the, you. What was the restaurant that had the ashtrays right by the urinals? So you mm. didn't even have to stop to go to the bathroom. Oh, like those those metal ones that are like an urn that you put yeah. your in? Yeah. yeah. The urns. Grecian. Yeah, you know what I like when you go to a hotel and they have the stand-up ashtray by the elevator <laughs> and they have the, the logo of the hotel pressed into the little sand? Oh, Nice. Hi, welcome back to Memories of Ashtrays, <laughs> a smoking podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the good old days. Why though. don't you tell me about something you like? Anyway, um, <laughs> that's not funny. That's not funny. That's no, not funny at all. It's not. Make that a stoma. Um, let's see. So we've covered a lot of good ground. We have more things to talk about. Um, yeah, well, you, you, getting, getting emails and texts from you is such an experience. Why is that? I kind of, I, I kind of, want, I kind of want to tell the listeners about, about the email you sent. You didn't tell anyone. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to do two. Well, we talked about track camp. That's out of the way. I want to mention something as a, uh, as you know, Dan, I'm not a technologist, but I, every time I share this, I realize how many people, um, don't know this and I want to share this. Okay. Um, last night in the Bay Area and I think elsewhere, um, we had one of those mystery meet out of nowhere, like a catastrophic Comcast outages. Oh, that's what you were tweeting about with DNS stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know why this happens. I don't know how this happens. Um, and I'll try and find more detailed notes on this because what, I, what I'm trying to get at here is that s- s- it, when your internet, especially when your Comcast goes out every six weeks approximately, um, what's often happening and what is happening, what has happened the last two times is that it's a, uh, a DNS outage. Like the little robot 
that figures out how to turn words into IP addresses is confused. And what <laughs> I, I was, I was, I had to do, I've been kind of busy lately for the first time in like 10 years. So last night I'm hustling. I'm at seven o'clock. I'm at work. I'm like, I've got to get this stuff uploaded. I got to get it in the Slack. I got to tell people here's that I made this thing. And like, I'm super busy. And like, suddenly the internet goes out and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I paid the bill. Like I, you know, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, I'm on my desktop computer and nothing is coming up. Zero is coming up. The modem seems fine. Everything seems okay. It's getting real spotty. And I don't know why it's, it's one of those things like where, you know, it should occur to me every time. The first thing to check is DNS. So I got on my phone and checked. Um, you know what? A good site I'm going to mention. There are several sites like this, but one that I, I don't know if it's a good site, uh, Down Detector. Do you ever use Down Detector? Ah, uh, yes. I've used it. Is that the same as Down for Everyone or just me? Yes, but with, uh, a social component. Uh, so, so anyway, the, the frustrating part is I'm sitting here at my desktop machine. I'm focused on desktop tasks. Nothing's working. I cycle everything down, come all the way back up, you know, uh, shake some chicken bones, you know, and close my eyes and think of England and hope that everything will be okay. Um, but what's nice is if you can get using your phone, uh, I would say first thing is flip off your wireless, your Wi-Fi, so that you're using, you know, so you, you can obviously see, you know, if the internet exists still. Right. Has the apocalypse come? So go to Google, go to Yahoo. Does it come up right on your phone with Wi-Fi, you know, off? Okay, good. The internet still exists. We have another day to live. Uh, and then you can do stuff like <laughs> one thing that is kind of cool where that, that uh, the Comcast does that is useful if you can get to the internet is on your phone. If you log in to your Comcast account, and this could be true for Time Warner, I don't know, but like, or whoever, but with Comcast, you go into your phone and it'll show you if there's outages in your area. I think the fastest way, if you have internet access, is to just go to something like Down Detector. Or, you know, is it down for everybody or just me is good because it's simple. But Down Detector, you'll see, they basically are watching especially social media for people talking about uh, whether a service is down. And so it's a good way to quickly go in and see, oh gosh, you know, outages are up 4,000% at 7 o'clock. Something must have gone wrong. So anyway, step zero, I guess, is realizing that when your internet goes out, like it... It, 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 you know, it, it might not be because you uh, didn't pay your bill. It could be that the internet actually went down, uh, your provider. So, so the thing is, though, with Comcast, I'm sorry, this is really boring, but it's worth knowing because it's so frustrating, not just because you can't watch TV and stuff, but like, you know, it's, it can be incredibly disruptive. And in my case, like, I'm, I like to think I'm smarter than the average bear. I spent half an hour dicking around with my computer trying to fix it because I assumed <laughs> it was my fault. Right. And it wasn't. So what you can do, though, is uh, if it is a DNS problem, and it, it, it's worth it to pay, you know, pay a visit to Twitter and do a search and see if everybody else is talking about this. If it is a DNS problem, you can go in. You know, In my case, I go to open up the airport app and go into my Apple, uh, what's it called, Extreme Time Capsule Airport? Whatever it's called. What's it, what do you call it, Dingus? The airport extreme base station, and there's the airport express. However, or... you're getting through, so you got the internet that goes to your modem, your modem goes to your router, Dingus. Yep. And so if you go to your router, Dingus, you go in there, and chances are, most, most of us have left those DNS fields blank. These are usually two or sometimes, I guess, three places where you can go. Anyway, if you know how to change DNS, this is so boring if you know this. I'm telling you this because I want you to also tell your pals this. Um, that you can go in and use different DNS numbers if there's a DNS outage and you can still use your internet. So I put three links into the show notes. I'll try and find a better overview on how to do this that you could send to somebody who's not a nerd. But three easy, the one almost everybody uses these days is Google DNS. Mm -hmm. So if you just go in and put in 8.8.8.8, like it's pretty reliable. I also really like something called OpenDNS. Yes. OpenDNS is a great service um, 
for having pretty reliable DNS, but also you can do some filtering. If you want to do a little bit of content filtering at your house, you can do that. The one that I don't use at the office, but I do use at home is Ad Free Time, I've mentioned before, which we bought in order to watch blocked out games on MLB. Ad Free Time also removes some of the most egregious sorts of ads that like totally ruin the mobile viewing experience. Plus, if you're that kind of person, you can do things like uh, unlock regions for Netflix. You can tell it you're in Mexico and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. You're on Time Warner, right? Uh, yes. Uh, and I'm putting these into the show notes, by the way. Show notes are at 5by5.tv slash B2W slash 223. So all the ones that you mentioned I've been putting in here. And yeah, Time Warner Cable... Um, and you know what, what I saw somebody tweeting to you that was good advice was that you oh, could, yeah. you could use, uh, multiple DNS providers. So you could put Google in as one of one source of DNS and you could put, uh, another one open DNS or someone else or even, and, and people don't know there are some really cool things you can do. Most, if not all routers, including the ones that Merlin mentioned, the Apple ones are, uh, are, you can configure which DNS providers it uses. And then through the magic of DHCP, it will assign those. Uh, it will, you, you can, okay. So you set your router to be your DNS server, and then it will do the lookups on your behalf for those that you've configured. So by doing that in one place, you've configured that DNS and that DNS search order preference for all of the devices that are on your Wi-Fi network. So uh, you can change those like in one place, one time, if there's an outage and boom, all of your computers and phones will just work. Sorry. The two things to know is like, first of all, you don't have to do it on every device you're using. You don't have to do it on your iPhone, your iPad, your iMac, your Apple TV or whatever. Um, so first of all, like you say, doing it at that one place covers whoever's on that network, wireless or wired. But the other nice thing is you don't have to hack it. It's not like the old days. Like I was really into Linksys uh, hacking at one point. Oh yeah, there's so much crazy stuff you could do with bandwidth shaping and stuff like that. You don't even use. There's no hacking involved. Then once those DNSs are DNS addresses are installed, you depending on who you're using, you may get extra services. So the Google one is free. The OpenDNS one is free. Ad free time and ones like it. In my case, ad free time is $2 a month. I like it. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not against advertising. It's just that, especially on mobile devices, like it's becoming virtually impossible just, just on the basis of like those JavaScript pop ups and stuff like that. It's just brutal. Um, and so that improves your experience there. And like I say, I mean, if you're in Italy and you want to watch American Netflix, it so far at this point, uh, it'll it'll that that works. That's spoofing uh, where you are. And you know, for Major League Baseball, like I said, when we bought MLB with money to like watch the World Series, the playoffs in the World Series, and I think there was maybe one or two games in the entire package we could actually watch. There was so much fine print about blackouts; it was completely perplexing. Anyway. Hack your life, you know what I'm saying? The life hack. That's right. Eat almonds, egg whites, hammock. Dan, would you tell me about something you like? I would like to tell you about Linda, our first sponsor, L-Y-N-D-A. Lynda.com slash back to work is the place to go. They are the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses that will help you strengthen the skills any skills, really. They they have videos on so many different topics. You're going to get a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash back to work. And the way that works, it's, it's like a flat deal. You get access to all 
every single one of their videos. It's not like you just pay for all the great videos. And they've got so many. We've talked about getting things done ones by, uh, that's actually by like David Allen. Like he does the videos. These people go to the top folks, the folks who really know what they're doing and uh, and they get them to do the best videos ever. One of the things that I've talked about on a couple different shows recently, you know, we're doing some like video work and I wasn't sure what, like what video software should I get? Well, I could go and try and, you know, download trials and install them and screw up the system by installing these, these different things and then try to figure out which one I liked. It's like saving me all of that time. I just watched the intro videos, you know, like Intro to Final Cut Pro, intro to Adobe Premiere, intro to Avid. Like you just sit down and watch it. And I didn't have to download anything or install anything. These software packages I would just have to uninstall later. I watched the tutorials and I picked the one that I like best. Like you can do that. You can go and find out a specific answer. Like, oh, how do I add a fade between two different things in GarageBand? Like there's, you can search for that kind of thing and find it and watch the video that just explains that. Or you can take longer courses and teach yourself more in-depth skills. It's however you want it to be. Download them to your iOS or Android device. Watch them on your computer. Make playlists. Share them with your friends. It's the coolest thing ever. And the URL again for that is lynda.com slash back to work. Support the show and visit and support yourself by checking those guys out on that free 10-day trial. Thanks very much to Linda for supporting this program. We have uh, a lot of... uh captured four uh, bits of feedback and questions from our listeners that we could talk about, or we could talk about, talk about your, uh, your topic that you sent me. I want to capture it. Let's capture it. Mm. Uh, you pick. We can talk about uh, interstitial time. We could talk, talk about uh, executive function and planning. Uh, relaxed alertness and the idea of Zen Shin. Or we could talk about whether using a computer mouse is a help or hindrance to productivity. A uh, mouse. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd pick that. Well... <laughs> Because when I read that one, I it was immediately brought back to when I transitioned from to having a Mac at home and like to to having a Mac as my primary work computer. And we've shared our anecdotes about oh, you can't bring a Mac onto my network stories. But when I finally did, the thing that I missed most from trying to be productive and and doing things with a computer as opposed to like doing things I felt like doing that felt more creative and fun. The ability to keep your hands on the keyboard, that was one of the big selling points for a lot of people on Windows compared to on a Mac. You could do pretty much everything. And I'm talking in Windows 3.1.1, Windows 95 days. You could keep your hands on the keyboard. You could navigate whether it was Alt-Tab or whether it was just using the Tab key by itself. You could tab to every single field. You could even, and if you had a dialog box open, you could hit the Tab key to go between the OK and the Cancel buttons. And I, you could, I, I can't imagine doing that any other way. You could hit the OK or the Cancel with a space bar. I don't know if it's still the case, but in the days before, it used to be Text Expander worked with a... Um, a kind of a hack. Oh, God, so many great hacks. But um, one of the things, one of the tricks back in the day, power user tricks, was to turn on accessibility options, right? So yep. th- that that's, I think that opens up a whole lot of doors on uh, on the Mac. Well, let me, let me just read what this person said. This is from listener Eric. I realized that the most inefficient thing on my desk, this is after talking a bit about Misenplus and getting your... Um, we talked about last week, the idea of having your workspace set up the way that you like and find most productive. Listener Eric writes, uh, I realized that the most inefficient thing on my desk was my mouse. It's sloppy. It seems like more clutter. Keyboard shortcuts exist solely to avoid using the mouse. 
Um, there's no mouse cut to avoid using the keyboard. See, he took and he turned it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the mouse being one of those things that impacts, I would say affects, but impacts a smooth workflow? I think it's a good question. And I think there's, there's two, you know, wildly differing answers. Um, may I? And then yes. you jump in? Yeah, of course. Yeah, for, first of all, I mean, I have to say like having, uh, the second part is how we'll talk about how having a mouse can make you extremely productive, um, in, in, in easy ways and in more, sophisticated ways but i would i would say that um this is a really old saw from the old days of mac using or computer using in general but i would say that you know this is a this is a big 43 folders thing for me um try to learn if there is a way to do the stuff that you like to do using the keyboard and that can mean things as simple as command c is a lot faster than going to the edit menu and selecting copy. That's that's a pretty obvious one. Um, things like uh, changing applications uh, by using the dock is to me not nearly as efficient as, as efficient as Command Tab. You know, and for, for each one of these tips, there are so many um, tricks and add-ons that can take it even further. Like I, you know, I, I there are so many different uh, ways of like controlling how you use the uh, the switch, not the switcher. <laughs> What's it called when you get the little uh, icons on screen? Um, command tab. Uh, what's it called? Application switcher, I guess. Sure, switcher. Anyway, yeah. if you're using MultiFinder, one of the most effective things you can do is learn to use those, those key commands. So like, if you've ever sat there and watched your relatives you know, using the edit command to do copy and paste, you know what I'm talking about. And you don't even have to nerd out. You don't have to go too nerdy. But what I, all I would say is a, a good... Like this is kind of a middle to long term productivity practice, but try and learn the key commands inside of the apps that you use. If it's something where you can accomplish what you need to by using like a meta key, uh, you know, plus a key, that's a great thing. Uh, there are actually places, for example, in Gmail where there are many keys that don't even require a meta key. Well, I've talked about this at length before, but it's one reason I have so much trouble using anything but web Gmail is because they're using those kind of pine or mutt style commands for very quickly navigating uh, through your mail. Um, so I guess I, what I would say first of all is like, you know, deciding if you want to get more productive in how you use your Mac or your computer, um, I would just consider that you, the, the Macintosh kind of pioneered this idea of using the mouse plus a, a, a GUI, you know, interface to get around your computer. And in fact, I think that pretty much they, they made it so that you could do almost everything that wasn't just typing in strings of text using a mouse, because that, that was kind of its marquee feature. But understand that there are some kinds of things where one input device is going to work better than another. I mean, an extreme example, if you're an artist, you might do way better to have a Wacom tablet than, than use your mouse to draw. That sounds really obvious, but think about how that works with how you write. You know, there's a reason people really like VI, uh, because, you know, once you get good at those key commands, you're, you're playing on a completely different level. So I would say, you know, if you want to get a little bit better at stuff, be aware that there are some things that are better with a mouse and for you, but there are many, many things that get better with key commands. So, you know, if you find yourself doing something over and over using a mouse, ask yourself, like, is there a way I could accomplish this with a key command? Once you realize you can do it with a key command, learn that there might be um, even more sophisticated ways where, you know, I've got, I've got some crazy filter stuff in um, TextMate using like set and awk and things like that because there's something, there's a certain kind of thing I want to do a lot. That all gets so much faster with key commands. You're feeling down. Well, when you talk about key commands and you talk about you know, I think when people see that obstacle is that they feel like they're going to switch back and forth between 
my both hands are on the keyboard and I'm typing something and now I want to do this other thing and I need to stop. I need to move my hand. I need to find the mouse. I need to move the mouse. I need to click the thing. I remember when Apple uh, first, you know, for, for, for the stuff on a Mac, they were adding key commands to make it easier for you to find things in the menus, not adding menus to make it fine, to make it so that you could use a mouse if you wanted, which was sort of back in the old days. That was like the Windows way. Like you needed to, you remember WordPerfect, you know, of not the GUI version, but the DOS version where you had all of these commands. And I had memorized these things in college because I was an English major. I was typing for, you know, every single assignment was typing that I had these keyboard commands. And I forget what it was. It was shift F7, but it would bring up this little reveal codes thing. And I could fly with just the keyboard. And I remember that for me, the downside of using a Mac in the Mac lab was, oh, I got a mouse around to everything. But one of Apple's rules, and it, it might even still be a rule, was that if if you were going to, you know, every single function that you could perform within an application or program, as we used to call them, was available to in, in the menus. The menus were what made Macs special. That was what mm-hmm. made them strong is that you always had a file menu. You usually had an edit menu. You know, there were these things you could they're presented, they're presented in similar ways between apps. So right. once you got good at learning things in the Finder, you could go and use something like MacWrite. And then you say, oh, well, MacWrite has file and edit and all those things. All these other apps have that, too. It was all yeah. Organized in a similar way. Right. And so if they added the keyboard command like save and you would command S to save, that was just to save you a little bit of time so that you didn't have to go to the file save menu. But that was the proper way to do it. And if you ever read the documentation, it was always like to save your file, go to the file menu and select the save command. And then they would have in parentheses, you may also use command S to, you know, that was like the extra thing if you were real fancy. Uh, and on the, the PC side, it was almost the other way around. It's that here, here's the, here's the long list of keyboard commands that you should memorize to use the software. And then you would always see on the side of people's monitors, you know, all of the word perfect commands or whatever they were printed out and then taped up to the side of the screen. And it's such an interesting difference in philosophy. I think now, you know, we're running into an interesting change where there's so many things with gestures and the importance of gestures, especially with devices with tiny screens like the Apple Watch, where you can't you can't just sit down and use an Apple Watch or in many cases, different apps on a phone without knowing the gestures and trying them and seeing when they work. And they're not implemented consistently. You know, on this app, you swipe left and swipe right to do something. And on another app that seems to work the same way and do kind of the same things, gestures aren't even implemented. Yeah, yeah, I... I, I... I think you're totally right. Well, there's another thing inside of all of this, regardless of the platform or the OS, which is that I think, you know, most, most people, uh, most normal people will learn enough to be able to do the task that they need to do. But I don't, I don't think, you know, there, there, there are people like me, but here's one way my daughter and I really differ is I'm always like read the manual guy. Like I want to know the rules of the game. I want to read the manual for whatever device we get because, you know, it's, it's never not benefited me to understand how they think I should use this. And when you're playing a game, obviously that's very important. But, but you know, I think for most people, you know, historically anyway, you learn enough to like deal with the computer. But you may not know that there's a way to get better and faster at this. And then also, I think also there's always kind of trade-offs where you think about like, well, the mouse is really great uh, if you're doing a lot of like moving files around. 
Like unless you really want to get into like the MV command or something like that in the terminal, which, you know, some people will, I remember Jeff Veen saying that like he would still always go to the terminal to do anything involving moving files because he was actually faster that way, hmm. which always seemed crazy to me. But, you know, you will, if, if you are sort of observing yourself as you work, you'll discover that there are, are improvement opportunities and understand what those trade-offs mean. So, you know, getting a, getting a bigger monitor the conventional wisdom is that getting a larger monitor can make you more productive because you see more stuff. There's less, you know, having to move around. On the other hand, like if you keep using your mouse the way you used to use it when you're using a large screen, you may see that that, that becomes very tiresome and might actually kind of, you know, hurt your hand over time. So, I mean, I guess all I would say is just remember that there's always a box of tools out there. There's, there's almost always a way to do something better and more efficiently. But, you know, again, it's, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know every key command. You don't need to know, it's like, again, back with Unix. There's five Unix commands that you're going to use 10 times more than all the other ones combined. Like, really get good at those. So then, but to that second part, like when is the mouse more useful? Well, I've heard John Syracuse talk about this a lot. Uh, you know, there are probably, there's not that many more productive people than John. And he really prefers a mouse over, over any kind of device. Probably slightly a personal thing, but also just that if you are somebody who still really uses Windows and you're really into, you know, tabs and things like that, um, still, even if you know all the key commands, that can still be very productive. And, and I want to suggest one app that can really get your mind sizzling about what you can do uh, with your mouse, which is called Better Touch Tool. And uh, I put it in show notes. Better Touch Tool is a, a little menu well, it presents itself as a, as a menu item. And uh, you can basically go in and configure many, many, many different things uh, involving your mouse. Primarily, it's really great with a, t- with a uh, touchpad because just about any gesture, any crazy-ass gesture that you can come up with can have a meaning associated with it. I mean, in fact, I, I really wonder, like, right now, how many people know that you can, like, what, like the three- and four-finger swipes? I know there are a lot of people who accidentally do a two-finger swipe from right to left, and is that the one that brings up notifications? You're like, ah, what did I do? Why, why's my notifications up? Well, learn those. Like, learn the four-finger up swipe, you know, that, that gives you, um, what does that show? All your windows, right? Gives you the, uh, what's that called when you see all your windows? Where it's, oh, mission, not mission control, is that what they're calling it now? The other one. The other one. But anyway, that also works on your iPad. You know, if you do the swipe up with four fingers on your iPad, if it's enabled, you'll get to the uh, little jump around uh, app thingy. That's the technical term. But um, anyway, I would say there's not really any one answer to that. Uh, the, the one answer that I think is conventional wisdom that's true is that always relying on the mouse for everything is unlikely to make you more productive. Unless it does, in which case, stick with it. Using just the key commands, well, you can't always just use the key commands, but that person is going to be a little more productive, probably, just by virtue of the fact that all their fingers are always on the keyboard. So, uh, you know, depends on, on what it is that you do. Just, you know, the, the, the hack inside the hack is just always be aware that there's opportunities. If you're self-aware about how, how you like to work, you'll always find good stuff. Nice. It's weird to sit down when somebody else has their stuff configured a different way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like if they if like the bottom left like, corner of their screen is configured to do the thing, and you do it, and you're like, what what, what just happened? Ah, why am I logged out? Or like in my case, like I I have never. I think I'm gonna. I mean, the change is in the air. I think I'm gonna have to get good with that little tap touch. Like I've always hated that. I know some people. Oh like, right, I, I, you I, said you're you're always a click. You're a clicker. You're a trackpad clicker. I'm a clicker, I, just because it's, I think probably I would be more productive if I made myself get used to the taps, but like it drives me bananas. Like stuff is always happening that I don't mean to happen. But, you know, 
Um, you can find your own level for what works for you. But I, I don't think mice are inherently an unproductive thing. It's just that the it's lazy is too strong a word. But you know, having the mouse always there, you can find what you need to. But like, I think it's vastly less efficient than a comparable key command. I mean, you know, part of this also is like I'm still in you know in an old version of TextMate, so like I'm forever hitting Control Command T to bring up every command that I could have access to right now. And so like, if I don't know what to do, I also know the key command to find what I need to do. Um, another, you know, another great one, was it? Uh, like command shift question mark inside of any app brings up the help menu. So, uh, so, you know, you can still use your menus without using your mouse. If you type command shift question mark and then to start typing in the search field, it'll show you every menu option in there. That's a lot faster than using your mouse. Oh yeah. And then eventually if you learn the key command, it's even better. The other thing, you know, is you can do stuff. There's a hacky thing you can do where you go into system preferences and you go into, I think, keyboards. And you can go in and create, this is pretty hacky, but you can go in and create custom commands uh, without any add-on software. So, for example, in Chrome, all of my bookmarks, uh, I have like 10 bookmarks that are numbered up in my bookmark bar, and I've named all of those in such a way. Yeah, I mean, I think this already works this way in Safari. Like in in Safari, if you hit command one, the first executable bookmark fires off. You can do that also in Chrome by using the... What is it called? See, I started, so now I should find it. I'm clicking with my mouse. I go to keyboard. Yeah, you go to keyboard shortcuts, and then inside application shortcuts, you if you name certain menu items, you can create your own custom menu commands for things. Um, it's pretty neat. Anyway, that's probably enough about that. Well, it's a neat topic in the sense that we get into this space, this personal space. I remember John Gruber uploaded some video years and years ago of him using, and you know, he's still using the Apple, the old Apple standard keyboard, but he had some kind of attachment to it where his hand, one hand was in like a sliding gear thing. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. Like it, a mouse wheel kind of thing? Well, no, it was this keyboard hand that was in it that allowed you to like slide your hand. I'll look for, the, for a video of this thing. They still make it. And you slide your hand left and right. Instead of lifting it, you just slide it. And it's like a little thing on wheels on a track. I'm not making this up. I cannot. I have but no idea what this is. Like the, I'll look for it while we, while we talk. But, they, they, you know, everybody has like their, like their workspace and the way that they do a thing. And I've all, my goal has always been to have none at all to do the – and we've talked about this, right? Mm-hmm. The, to go as stock as, as possible so that the fewer tweaks and customizations and things like that. And, over, you know, I tried to do that for the longest time. And in my, you know – in my old age now, I've found that there are some of these things that I really am at that point where I just I can't just can't live without, whether it's something like a text expander or, you know, the thing that that you're a big fan of that changes the uh, is a ghost. What's the one that takes the applications away if you haven't used them to keep your. Oh, yeah. I had the, the, yeah. I, I, I haven't used that in a while, but I yeah. know the one you mean with the little Pac-Man ghost, the little Pac-Man and that or changing like the, the tone color of the screen to match the time of day. Little things, flux, little things like that. I find like they're not indispensable per se, but they're really handy and they do make. And so, you know, like, why not, why not use them? But then when you try using a computer Mm -hmm. without them, you're like, I'm, I'm useless. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Did you want to talk about something else you like? Got to say thank you very much to Squarespace. The easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog or online store for you and your ideas. These guys have, uh, have been around now. 
so long enough that I think when people think about creating a new website, now they think Squarespace. And that's a really, really, really good idea. The stuff that Merlin, you and I used to do back in the day, making our, you know, cutting our teeth, bu- building our careers. We used to dream of stuff like Squarespace and kind of laugh and say, you know, no way. And my friend Jeffrey Zeldman, his website that he's been hand coding all these years, you know, like 20 years he's been making websites. 20 years he's been blogging on Zeldman.com. And it's amazing to me how far we've come, not in 20 years, but in like the last five years that right now you have an application like Squarespace where people can go, they can log in and in five minutes, they've got an amazing website. It's going to work on every single device, but it's not going to be a clone of every other website out there. You can completely customize it. You can completely tweak it and make it your own and not just by picking colors, but there's so many different templates and template options. Just getting in there and messing around with stuff and seeing what it looks like you can create these sites that are, are just amazing and they look great and they work. And if you're a podcaster, you can upload your files to them and you can run your podcast. I even know someone who runs a podcast network on this thing. You can, if you're a, you know, if you have a band, you can upload your CDs and set it up and it, they have like a built-in player that understands how p- people want to listen to your, your, uh, your album. Really, really cool stuff. If you just want to blog or do a site for your app, you could do it and you can sell stuff. They've got built-in e-commerce. It's all built in. Everything you've ever wanted to do for a site, it's built in and it starts at eight bucks a month and you get a free domain name. If you sign up for a year, it all happens within Squarespace itself. They made a special URL that you can use to get that 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace.com slash back to work. And the code that you're going to use is it's your show. These will be in the show notes, but I'll say it again. Squarespace.com slash back to work code is it's your show. And do take them up on the year offer because the free domain name, you can't beat it. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this episode of Back to Work with Merlin Man possible. Build it beautiful. Pock, pock. They told us to say part of that. The bok bok part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about truth. We could talk about interstitial time, executive function. Hmm. 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 We can save the truth one. <laughs> this is fun. It's just, just fun. Check my email. I get an email from Dan. And the subject line was something like... Uh, Show topic idea. One, one word email. Truth. So now, so now, now the ball's in my court. And I go, uh, <laughs> okay. Truth. All right. Okay, we covered that. Um, uh, I like interstitial time. I like executive function. Well, the, it's, I did narrow it down. I sent you a longer kind of rambling late night pecked on my iPhone email about you what, yeah, you what I was thinking. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, the, the concept is, is a big one and it may be, I feel like we should save it. I the feel concept like we, of truth is a big one. Yeah. We save it for future. Show. We can talk about that. We can talk about big concepts. We're a big idea show. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I don't know. Let's save it. Let's do it another, let's say save it for another time. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure. All right. You being honest? Yes. Total honesty. How would I know? Cause I'm truthful about it. It's a big topic. It, it is. You get physical pain if you don't tell the truth. Well, some some Buddhists do. Yeah, that doesn't sound true. No, it's a fact. It's factual. Hmm. All Buddhists are liars. 
It's called the Cretan Paradox. That's right. Um, <laughs> listener Johnny says, um, a long time ago, Merlin mentioned using what he called interstitial time, which is time you spend waiting around for stuff like trains or in lines and meetings. He also mentioned the possibility of being good at using these types of five-minute chunks of time. I love it if you guys could dive deeper on the types of tools and tasks that improve and benefit from little pieces of time that otherwise lay fallow or get wasted. Uh, we end up playing video games. Is that interesting? I think, I think it's kind of interesting. I like that one. Because mm-hmm. and my view about this has, has uh, changed, I think, over time in a way that I'm not necessarily happy about. But I've just always, I've always been interested in this. I, I don't even know if that's a good term for it. But, you know, it's, um, I guess I feel like it is a big pattern, which is that, you know, your day does not always, you, you may have a big idea in mind for how your day is going to go. You may know there's some big rocks, right? There's this meeting here. There's this pickup of a kid there. There's a dinner with friends here and so forth. And that kind of forms the landscape of your day. And then in between, there's little stuff you end up doing. There's stuff that comes up. There's little changes that require you to go and do different things. But, you know, you've got, the, you've got those big rocks that represent the events that aren't going to move unless they change. And then you've got the smaller but still, you know, boulder-sized things of like, well, I've got to make progress on this report, the Henderson report. I, I've got to work on that today. But then I, I feel like there's a lot of little opportunities to liberate pockets of time that you only really become aware of if you start thinking about it and maybe start thinking at a higher level and start... Mm, start adapting the way you think about how time works. Um, and so that's what I would call interstitial time, which is just the idea that, and it, this is not to say, I just want to be clear, this is not to say that you have to be working every second of the day all the time. It's more a mindful way of saying, on the one hand, like based on how I know this day is going, am I, am I doing a good job with how I want to be using my time? Having a presence of mind to say like, Hmm. Have I updated that through the day and thought about what I might be doing different? Have I kind of caught up on everything that's happened today? Am I am I working on the most valuable thing given my time right now? And then realizing that things like five minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes—that's not time that you want to just blow away unless you choose to, right? I mean, so so the idea is to get better about thinking about those things, so that, for example, if something does change, when something changes in your day, what do you do? Like now, do you just have two hours where you don't do anything because that meeting got canceled? How do you pivot throughout your day to learn to make optimal use in real time of the the time and resources you have available? That's that's the basic idea. Seem reasonable? Yeah, that seems very reasonable. Yeah. And so, you know, in the days before there were lots of mobile devices, I would think about that in terms of like, well, if I'm waiting in line here for a few minutes, you know, I could I could read a book. I could read a magazine. I could, you know, look at, my task list and go like, is this up to date? Just at a quick glance. And I think, so, you know, again, I feel like I have to clarify this. I'm not trying to say that you have to be some automaton that's always thinking about what, what is more work I could be doing. It's more a, a state of mind of like staying in the moment to realize that this could be a better use of my time right now. Right. So when I talk about interstitial time, here's a classic example from the days when I had a jobby job is the, the classic conference call. Like, we're going to have a conference call at noon, okay? Noon Eastern or noon Pacific. Oh, is there a difference? Mm. Okay, we're going to have a conference call. Everybody's there. Yeah, Jim, Jim Bob's running late. Jim Bob's in his Porsche doing stuff. Like, he's going to be late. So uh, we'll just wait and we'll circle back in 15 minutes. Okay, so like, what do you do with that 15 minutes? Well, a certain 20 years ago, me would go like, well, that's a good time to just go dick around 
and just it could be it could be a good good time to take around. A better way to think about it though is like in that twenty minutes. Well, first of all, was I prepared for that meeting in the fifteen or twenty minutes? Like maybe this is a good time for me to go out and find some. Uh, resources and links that would make my that meeting better. It could be a good time to say like, what's a task that I could do here at my desk? Like if they do end up calling me in five minutes, I need to be here. It's just, do, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, it's no, I, I, I get it. it and, and that that thing that used to happen, it's almost like you're sitting in class in college and the teacher doesn't get there until 10 minutes, you know, they're there after 10 minutes, you can like just leave. But there were always, you know, people who would be like upset about that because they felt, yeah, I'm like, good, I get an hour, you know. But there is this very different attitude, especially with, you know, some of the older students, people who had worked for a while and now we're going back to school and paying for it themselves are like, this really sucks. I'm into this course. I'm trying to learn and I'm paying money. It's not my parents' money or my grandparents' money, you know, like it's my money. And there's kind of that that feeling that time now to me more than ever, I know for you, is a time is valuable. You know, if I'm two minutes late getting to this show because something happened, I got to grab a water like that's that's. That messes things up, you know, two minutes. Yes, two minutes can mess things up. That's valuable. That's a time. Right. But so, I mean, I think there's ways to do this. I mean, if you enjoy playing your video games on the robot, like that's fun. You should do that. <laughs> but like, I think it's good to have a couple different kinds of things that if you choose to spend that time differently uh, can work for you. Let's take the classic example, which is where you're somewhere where there's not much to do. Like if your doctor doctor's appointment is running late, there's just not that much you can do about it. But... I mean, what's the classic? I mean, having a book with you is not a bad idea. Having having something that you can read, whether that's a physical book or something on your device or whatever, I always feel like that's a nice thing. Another thing for me is Instapaper or whatever your version of Instapaper is. That's a great time to go and pick out an article. Instapaper even shows you like how long it will take you to read this. So like you can go pick out something short and read that. Um, to me, that's not about it. That's not necessarily about efficiency or effectiveness, but it is about feeling like I'm not spending my day sitting there just being mad that something hasn't happened yet. And you could do something you enjoy in that amount of time too. I mean, your, your options are limited um, in that case. But you could also just go to the person at the desk and say, well, is it really going to be five minutes or is it going to be more like an hour? Like, just, you know, tell me the truth. It's okay. If it's an hour, that's fine. I'll go get a coffee. But, you know, I guess the thing that's a big part of all of this is being more assertive and active about reclaiming your time. And it, it's just not, I mean, again, I, I think, you know, you don't have to be that, oh, I'm busy guy. You just won't have to be somebody who goes like, well, I just care how my life happens. <laughs> like, there's nothing fancy about caring about how your life happens. And if there, and, but that is, it makes it incumbent upon you to be the one who says that time is going away. That time is valuable. And I can find something to do with my time that is useful. So, you know, if you're stuck in a doctor's office, for God's sake, just always carry a book. That's a good idea. Now, if you're at your desk or you're at work, one that happens for me a lot is like, like if I have like a phone call early in the morning, I'll sometimes do that call at home before I go to the office. But you know, it's what if that call is late? What if it doesn't happen? Start thinking about stuff that you already kind of want to be working on a little bit through the day. For me, that's sometimes it's strange. I don't think of myself as a writer so much, but I, I end up having to do lots of little bits of writing. You got to write show descriptions. You got to do, I always rewrite all of my ad reads to be in my own voice, things like that. I try to always have things like that in mind that I could spend three to five minutes on. Not where it would be disruptive to stop doing it. But if I do find that I've got an extra five or 10 minutes or unknown minutes, what's something that I can work on where I can make progress uh, without feeling disruptive or without having to be somewhere else? And so you can already see where this is going. 
Because in order to do this, wherever you are, it takes a little bit of thinking ahead and planning ahead. You don't have to make a to-do list. You don't have to have a, a reading list that you carry all the time. But just start becoming more aware that there, once you start noticing the opportunities for interstitial time, you'll start noticing it like everywhere. And you'll think it's crazy that you ever sat there pacing and being angry that the call hadn't happened because that could have been eight minutes where you wrote something really amazing. Maybe you post a funny photo on Tumblr. But try and have stuff around that you can turn to um, in those times. And so that's why I would say, you know, a good tip for work or home or wherever, have stuff you can work on a little bit. Maybe you can wash the dishes a little bit. You know, if it's five minutes, that's a great time to take out the trash. Now you won't have to do it later. You won't be frustrated that it didn't happen. But you know, the, the, the real, again, the, the big hack is to just be aware of that so that you start thinking in those smaller amounts of time, right? The, one of the worst things that ever happened in the world of productivity is whatever genius first came up with the idea that the default length for an event in a calendar is one hour. Because so now one hour, whether we like it or not, has become the standard unit of measurement in business. If anything that's different from that is there because someone changed it. They either made it longer or made it shorter. It's a terrible way to go. Try to think of your day more in like five, 10, 20 minute blocks and then try to think about your work accordingly. And you'll, you'll, find, you'll find those those spots open up. And then maybe you get a little better about thinking contextually where you're like, I gotta go, like, I gotta go to the post office for this thing. Okay, well, don't get mad. Is there anything else you need to do that's near the post office? When you're at the post office, could you be working on this other thing? Like, it's just, it's just a way to like start taking your life a little bit more seriously, to stop feeling like a cork on the ocean that's being bobbed around at somebody else's will and more a way of saying, well, no, tell me. If this is gonna be an hour late, tell me. I'll find something else to do. It's no problem. But it, it means being assertive and thinking ahead a little bit and then uh, pivoting contextually throughout the day. Well, I think when you are looking at your day as a whole, you start to realize, and I don't know why, but for me, it took me way, way, way longer to start doing that. And I think in, in large part, learning from people like you uh, who are, you know, it's funny because like I look at, I look at structure and I look at the way that my mind works in certain situations. And in some situations I am very structured and we've talked about this, I think, and in other ones, I feel like I'm not as structured or as structured as I, I might want to be or as structured as I should be. And I always we've talked about schedules. We've talked about living by your schedule and the importance of, of doing that. But really, the person you're helping the most is yourself, is giving yourself that kind of structure and looking at it and saying, you know, like, what am I going to do with this time here? What am I going to do with that time here? And it's not but it's not I think that the misconception is that people could interpret you as saying, or I, I feel like I could make this mistake of saying Merlin is saying I should be busy all day long. Merlin is mm-hmm. saying I shouldn't have five minutes of spare time. Merlin is saying I should book everything. Merlin, hates, fa- Merlin hates Facebook. <laughs> right. right. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. So tell me what you mean. Um, okay. Good, good, good point. Um, I guess what I'm advocating for is this. I realized that um, as my life changes a little bit, I start to feel more than ever like there's a little bit of Tetris involved in what I do, which is that my life is not difficult. My life is not that busy. I don't have to be different places in town through the day. That's busy. That That's where like one change in an event early in the day cascades into really blowing your whole day. If you have to mostly be in one or two places all day, your life is not that complicated. There's you. If you can't manage that, then you need to talk to your coworkers. Like that's weird. The really busy people, I mean like John Roderick right now having to be three to six places every day, that's busy. Yes. What I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is that, it, but it is Tetris. 
And I know this is boring. I know this is fuddy-duddy and old, but I want you to think about this because maybe if you're a little bit younger and you have less stuff you have to do, you don't have to go to a party. If you've got a kid, you have to pick the kid up. It's helpful to think about what's going to happen, what happened yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow. This is really kind of, I guess, a, a bigger thing. But when you start to realize, once you start walking through what really happens in your day, you realize how much Tetris there really is to it. And I'll just give you a mundane example from, from my own life, which is that, you know, my wife works, I sort of work, uh, we have a kid, the kid has to be places, there are things like meals and baths and all these other things. Well, I mean, you you start out with this same general number of Tetris pieces every day. You know, we can't have five days without a bath. We can't skip four meals. We can't just leave the kid at camp. All of those things have to happen in kind of a similar order. And the really weird part is you could say something is like, well, I'm going to put this all on the calendar. There'll be a camp at this time. There will be dinner at exactly this time every night. There will be bath at this time every night. But it, it won't and can't work that way because you're not accounting for a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay, uh, who has the car that day? Is the car gassed up? Did you, that dinner you planned, did you buy everything you need for that dinner? Because yeah. if it gets to be five o'clock and you don't have that stuff for dinner, yeah. everybody's going to be sad. That throws off bath, et cetera. Really boring Tetris stuff. But, you know, I've, I've said for a long time, I think one of the most valuable things in getting things done that most people miss is the idea of the weekly review, which encourages you to, you to do things like look at last week's and last month's calendar. Like if you do that right now, go and look at last month's calendar and I'll bet you, I can pretty much guarantee you will find one to six things that you really can, could, and should follow up on. Oh my gosh, I forgot to write down that I, you know, I've got to write down this follow-up appointment. I forgot to schedule the next meeting. I forgot that I was supposed to send this person these forms. That That is really useful to go like, what happened last month that I haven't followed up on? What's going to happen tomorrow, this week, uh, this month? Especially when it gets to summertime, you got to think about like, did you send the deposit for that uh, place you're going to stay? You know, did you know? All I'm trying to say is like, it's if you if you aren't at the point where it feels like Tetris, still treat it a little bit like Tetris. You don't have to become tightly wound. The truth is, you can be less tightly wound if you've already thought things through. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is so dumb. Like bath time. Did you? Do, you know, my kid likes to get the thing of Johnson's bath stuff and just pour the entire thing in the tub. <laughs> I frequently don't realize we're out of soap. We cannot do a proper bath. So now what do you do? You got to go to Walgreens and you're mad. Like think ahead on that stuff. Order uh, an Instacart delivery to have that stuff come to your house. It'll be there when you get home. But start imagining not just the Tetris that's falling on you right now, but like where you want that stuff to be falling in the next week and month. And it, it vastly changes the way you think about time. The, the, the most maybe concrete tip that I will give you is next time you plan something, walk through it. Walk through the entire thing where you think about, you schedule a meeting. Well, if you have a meeting without an agenda, if you have a meeting without any preparation, that's not an optimal meeting. Like, why are we having that meeting? Do we have a topic for this meeting? Yes. I mean, this is kind of a different talk, but I think it's related. Like, walk through everything that, why are we having that meeting and how will we know it went well? We will know it went well if these things get accomplished and these sorts of uh, things are resolved. Now, do you have, have you done your mise en place? Do you have everything you need in order to conduct the best meeting anybody's ever held? Or are you just going to phone it in again? Well, now you're wasting 10, 10 people's time or six people's time. Like walk through that thing, walk through what your evening looks like. You know, if you're going to go on vacation, you know what? There's probably stuff you need to order from Amazon. Do you have a snorkel? Do you, <laughs> all of those things that you're going to want, don't wait until the last minute. Walk through that, think through that. Even if you don't do anything about it right now, start getting in the mindset that thinking and walking through what you're going to do will make all the difference in how much you value your own time. Because now 
Now you're not going to be frustrated because you're buying stuff at the last minute. You're going to be understandably frustrated that not everybody else is thinking ahead. And that's, you know, you don't want to be a jerk about it, right. but that's worth thinking about. Your, your life is valuable. You know, treat it that way. I remember the first, years ago before I had any real ability to th- really think things through, I would say yes to things. And then I would wind up you know, not necessarily double booking, but like, I would say yes to be involved in a project at home or at, at work. I would say yes to my friends who would invite me to go to a thing. I would say, you know, yes to a freelance project, you know, without <laughs> really thinking about like the what really goes into, you know, someone would say, oh, Dan, we want you to speak at uh, RailsConf this year. And like in my mind, I just have this vision of like, oh, cool, like RailsConf. That was fun last time I went and uh, being up on stage. I like doing that. And like, you know, you just have these kind of glimpses of what it would be like. And yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And then you realize like, oh, crap, that actually involves like buying tickets and figuring out a hotel and creating a talk, which I have to write and edit and rehearse multiple times. And maybe, you know, all of this stuff that goes into making all of that happen to get to that little visionary glimpse you have of yourself on stage, like having fun. All of these other things need to go involved. And then you actually have to think about packing. Well, you know what? I don't have a suitcase that will work for a five-day trip. So I need to buy a suitcase and then I need to get... It's so true. It's all so silly, but it's it's incredibly true. And let me just guess, if you were like me, did you you would commit to things and say, oh, sure. But like, did you write it down? Did you put it on the calendar? (laughs) No. So now you got a double whammy. So first of all, anything that you agree to do means 10,000 things you can't do. Even if it's just like one hour of time, exactly one hour of time with no preparation, that still means like you got to get to that place, you got to be there and you can't do other stuff. Have you accounted for what might already be in that spot? But you're, you're absolutely right. Where if you're, if you're not capturing that stuff and thinking about it, I, I happened to me Sunday night or Saturday or Sunday night, I forgot that I'd done a doodle and agreed to be on a podcast. And I was like, oh God, I feel like such a jerk. I agreed to this a week or two ago and I completely forgot. God. I did not write it on the calendar. And I was like, I'm sorry, this is old Merlin. Like I suck. I can't do this. There's just no way. And I feel terrible about it. But you know, what you're also describing like a kind of perfect recipe for stress. If you're like agreeing, half agreeing, remember when you agree to something, even if you think you're being a little bit like, the other person is listening for yes. And when they hear something that's close enough to yes, you're on. Like, get ready, because now they expect you to do that. So understand what you're getting into, put it on the calendar, make a list, that kind of stuff, all that dumb stuff. It's, you know, if it, it may not be a problem yet, or it may not be a problem you're aware of yet. Like, I, I'll tell you, this is a disability for me, uh, and I know it drives my wife insane, but like, I, I don't, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to say refuse. I pretty much refuse to talk about anything involving time unless I have a calendar in front of me. That seems so weird to me. That's like just writing checks on an account that you've never looked at. It's just nuts. Like to me, I have to be looking at a calendar. What happens that month? What happens before? Or what happens after? Because if I don't, like it's not going to be more than a week before I painted myself into a really stupid corner that I could have avoided by thinking ahead a little bit. Mm, 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 mm. Time management, life hacking. Time. Life hacking, productivity, pound sign creativity, pound sign barriers. Oh, I got this. I'm got. I got the Spark guy on my uh, on my other show coming up this afternoon. Oh, nice. He just went but went public with it. Yeah, just he, he uh, the Spark is out of the closet. It is. 
You know what else is crazy? I, I, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. You know what else I tried that I really, really like? What? Outlook. Really? Outlook on iOS. Man, that is, it's lean and mean. It's not perfect, but like you get your calendar and your mail in this one app and they have learned a lot from what other apps are doing in a similar way to Spark. I mean, Spark in some ways is, you know, has learned a lot from other apps. And, um, but no, I, I'm for people who don't need a whole lot of bells and whistles, I'm kind of recommending Outlook, uh, just because it, it's, it's so simple. It's so clean. It's so easy to get and it works. It was, it blew me away. I mean, I was recommending it to some people I work with and they're like, really? Like, I hate Microsoft. I hated using Outlook. I'm like, well, this is pretty different. Like when I watch my wife, look at my wife's Outlook on her, on her Dell, I'm just like, <gasps> like just so overwhelmed by looking at it. But the iOS app is, is super clean. You should try it. It's pretty good. I will, I will try it and I'll put it into the uh, show notes. Last time show notes are at five by five dot TV slash B2W slash two, two, three. And um, thank you very much to everybody for tuning in. You can always uh, send us nice questions or tell us that your friend, the author would be a great guest for our show. <laughs> yeah. They enjoy it. Congratulations <laughs> on your, congratulations on your successful productivity program. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question. What was your favorite recent guest we've had on? Cricket. Yeah. Cricket. Yeah. Cricket. All right. Let's button this up. I right. love you. Love you too, Merlin Man. Mm-hmm.